Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm Alberto Ligi, your host from London. Please subscribe and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we are talking about early childhood development and the importance of policy and the importance of ensuring that policymakers and politicians act on evidence-based findings in the space of early childhood development. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Cynthia Osborne, who is the director of the Prenatal to Three Policy Impact Center at the University of Texas at Austin, and she's also Associate Dean of the LBJ School of Public Affairs, again, also at the University of Texas. And one of the things that we're going to be focusing on as well is this upcoming summit, the upcoming National Prenatal to Three Research to Policy Summit on the 15th of September. It's got a lot of heavyweights in the area of early childhood development, and both from the policy side and from the academic side, and Cynthia's going to shed light on that as well. Cynthia, a big heartfelt welcome to the Do One Better podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk with you about this today. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, we know a lot of uh, mutual acquaintances in the space of early childhood development. And you come very highly recommended. So I'm very much looking forward to today's uh, conversation. I guess we could start by finding out a little bit about the summit that's coming up. Well, we're really excited. This is a launch of our state policy roadmap that we've been developing for the past year. And it's a way of bringing together the folks who really understand the science of the developing child and why investing in the prenatal to three period is so important with the researchers who are also focused on policy, who understand the policies that impact this uh, important time period, as, along with policymakers, those who are committed to actually trying to improve the outcomes of children and know that if we get them off to a healthy start, it sets them on a pathway that is much more positive for them as well as society. So we're bringing together the policymakers, the scientists, the policy experts, so that we can really understand what it is that will make it so our kids get off to a healthy start. Great. And so for our audience, not all of whom are familiar with early childhood development as a phrase, tell us just a little bit about why early childhood development is important, what age bracket we're looking at. So we're focused on the prenatal to three period. So this is the period of a child's life in which the brain is developing the most rapidly and it's the most sensitive period of a child's life. Our brain is actually the only organ in our body that is uh, when we're born, it is not fully developed. It is expecting input from our environment around us to tell us what is safe, what is normal, what should I be expecting? How do I speak? Um, these are all the types of input that various regions of our brain are expecting. And when children who are exposed to these safe and stimulating and warm, loving environments, that's all they need to have the adults in their lives, the caregivers, to act with them and this uh, notion of what we call serve and return, which is being responsive uh, to what the child is doing and the parent or the caregiver is uh, sending a signal back that this is a welcome and loving sort of environment. But when children are exposed to deep and chronic adversity, such as poverty or abuse 
for types of environment that really increase the stress level of their caregivers or of them um, in particular, this actually makes it very difficult for the brain to fully develop in the way that it was meant to. That's what we refer to as optimal child development, that we're all born with this incredible capacity. And it's really our responsibility to make sure that each child reaches that capacity. So we focus on the prenatal to three period because it's such an important and sensitive period that lays the foundation for all subsequent health and development. It doesn't mean that the, when you're three and four or five and beyond isn't important, that is certainly important as well. And we wanna work closely with folks who are focused on that period. We are just decided that we know we can do it. We can get kids off to a healthy start if we really focus on making sure that the conditions in which they're living provide a safe and stimulating and warm and loving environment and that we reduce the adversity that they're exposed to. Great, great. And tell us about the work that you and the team are doing at the University of Texas at Austin. So you're the director of the Prenatal to 3 Policy Impact Center, also, as I mentioned, Associate Dean at LBJ School of Public Affairs. And you also wear a couple of other hats as well, right? So you're the director of the uh, Center for he Health and Social Policy uh, there at LBJ as well, and also the founder and director of the Child and Family Research Partnership. Seems like there's quite a bit of uh, work and endeavor and effort focused in early years out there in your neck of the woods. Well, there is, because this is such an important period of child's life, and we know that policy plays a role, that research plays a role, that each of these centers that I'm engaged with has a, a complementary but different role in this. The Center for Health and Social Policy really focuses on basic science, uh, understanding what it is that uh, impacts a child's early development. It also focuses on convening scholars and practitioners uh, and policymakers from across the state and across the country to really learn from each other and understand of what each other is doing and how our work can influence one another. The Child and Family Research Partnership was started so that we could help state agencies and nonprofits who are trying to really influence families' lives by programs and policies to evaluate those programs and policies for them to help them to understand, are you actually meeting the goals that you have? How can we make this policy or program more effective so that it actually does serve the families in the way that you intend. So we engage in rigorous program evaluation, policy evaluation, and help um, different organizations to improve their services. Excellent. How challenging are you finding it to engage with policymakers, with politicians? So I gather that the evidence is very robust as it stands and it's getting even stronger. Um, how, how receptive? is the, uh, the political sphere? Well, I think that there have been a lot of folks who have done a, an amazing job trying to articulate how important these early years are. The brain science has really opened the eyes of policymakers, elected officials, state agency heads to understand this is an important period. So I've actually seen momentum across the states as policymakers have said, okay, I get it. We need to make sure that the brain is developing well in these first three years. We need to limit adversity. I hear all of that, but then they're lost. What's the next step? 
what do we do that actually brings to life that science of the developing child? So that was the mission that we had for the Policy Impact Center. What are the most effective policies that states can implement that would actually meet the goals that they have now that more and more folks are understanding how important this is? I'll Mm. say that it's not everyone who understands this. We still have a long way to go to convince people that these first three years are crucial to long-term well-being, that they understand that if we invest early, that it's actually less costly later on. There will be less need for remediation in school. We'll see reduced rates of incarceration. We'll see better mental health, uh, better physical health. So they are understanding that more and more But I would say we still have a long way to go to making it so that this is really ingrained in our full understanding across the uh, for all of our elected officials. Yeah. And so tell me about this conference that you have coming up. It's coming up quickly, the 15th of September, and it's the National Prenatal to Three Research to Policy Summit. Now, who's involved? I know you have some uh, some state governors, some um, policymakers, some academics. Give us a flavor of, of who's going to be uh, present and participating on the 15th. Well, we are excited about it. And when you say the date, it does get closer and closer before <laughs> it seemed like it was so far away. And I'm so excited that it's coming up so quickly. We did have to move from a two-day in-person event to a three-hour virtual event, obviously, given the conditions of our environment right now. But we will have uh, Jack Shonkoff, who runs a Harvard Center for the Developing Child, help us to really understand why investing in the first three years is such an important uh, thing that we need to do. And we'll also have Joya Creer Perry, who is the founder of Black Mamas Matter, as well as Ioma Aruka, who runs High Scope, which is focused on child care. They are experts in both policies to make sure that kids are born healthy and have a healthy start, but also in understanding how important it is that our policies focus on equity, that too many of our policies have not necessarily met the needs of all children. They have disproportionately benefited some more than others. And what we're really looking for are policies that actually impact our outcomes and close gaps. We need to close these gaps. And Dr. Creer Perry and Dr. Aruka are experts at understanding the racial and socioeconomic um, inequities that have persisted for so long and how important it is that our policies address these so that we're not just maintaining the status quo, we are really making sure that we are enabling all kids to reach their full potential. So we're excited that they're gonna be able to focus on that. We're also very excited that we have two governors, Governor DeWine of Ohio and Governor Grisham of New Mexico, who are going to talk about their commitment to early childhood and the work that they have done in their state. And hopefully the new tool that we're creating the state policy roadmap will provide them with greater guidance on what their efforts um, should be and how effective they can be. So we're really excited that they're going to join us, as well as two 
representatives, an assemblywoman from New Jersey and a representative from Alabama, who will talk about how, one, they've helped us to shape the state policy roadmap that we've created, their early input, helped us to understand how elected officials use evidence to drive decisions, what can be helpful and, and what may not be as helpful. And uh, they're gonna speak to how they use evidence uh, to inform the work that they do. And again, their commitment to early childhood and why they see that as a priority in the work that they're doing. Great. And the state policy roadmap, tell, tell us a little bit about what that looks like. What's in, what's in that roadmap and where can, do we have to wait until the 15th to get our hands on it? Well, we are going to embargo it until the 15th, <laughs> uh, okay. but then it's going to be available widely at pn3policy.org. This has been an amazing amount of work. And what we have done is, like I said earlier, we wanted to bring to life the science of the developing child through policy. So we began with a huge scan of dozens of policies that states are implementing that have a uh, focus on trying to strengthen families or improve children's outcomes. And then we went to the literature. I'm an academic. We wanted this to be driven by the evidence. And so we did comprehensive reviews of this policies to say, what do we know that works? What do we still need to learn? And based on the evidence reviews that we conducted, we chose 11 policies and strategies. I, um, these are things that are not clearly defined as to what the states should do, but we know that these are effective uh, solutions that they should continue to pursue. Mm -hmm. And those 11, then what we have done is uh, look to see where states are in adopting and implementing each of those 11 policies and strategies. And also we provided an indication of how generous they are uh, relative to others in their benefit levels and how well each state is doing in terms of really implementing these, making sure that the families who are eligible are receiving those. We'll track all of that information at, for each state. They'll have their own state policy roadmap. We'll also be able to see how you stand up next to other states as well. Great, great. And then we'll monitor that progress over time. We'll track your growth. Every state, this is your baseline. This is where you're starting. And every state has the opportunity to do more, to be more generous, serve more families, expand the policies that they have that we know will create that system of care in the earliest years. And so we will be tracking the state's progress over time. And there will be each year we'll produce an annual roadmap. We also are looking at a combination of outcomes that help us to monitor how well your families and children are doing. We're implementing policies for a reason because we know that the evidence says that they impact the well-being of children and families. And so we're going to be monitoring that progress as well. That's excellent. So this is really not just of interest to an elected official, but also to all of those individuals in the system who are um, formulating policy, looking at the allocation of resources, and also philanthropists and foundations who are looking to back... Um, things that work. Absolutely. Of course, at the end of the day, the elected officials are the ones who have to make the decisions about whether to vote yes or no. So they are our ultimate audience. But there are a lot of pathways to them and a lot of folks who 
care deeply and influence lives of children and families without being elected officials. So they're all our stakeholders. They're all the audience of this. The state agency heads, the advocates, the coalition leads, the funders, the academics. We want everyone to come to a collective understanding that this is what we know, but we also want to send the message that we need to learn more. There's a lot that we don't know out there about how we can really ensure that children get off to a healthy start, that their families are well supported. Uh, so this is a good start. It tells us these are the 11 most effective solutions that we know of today. And we want to work collaboratively with states and other academics to continue to build that evidence base so that we learn more. I'd like to be sneaky and say, give me the 11. Um, but actually, then that would defeat the purpose of your of your summit. Well, I'll give you a, a little bit of a preview. Okay. So importantly, we took a broad look at what it is that will really bring to life the science of the developing child. It isn't just about parenting programs. It isn't just about child care. Those are crucial elements in this system. But we also wanted to think more broadly about the family resources that um, are available so whether parents have time off of work after they've had a child, whether they have sufficient household resources and looking at some of our tax credits that can enable um, families to have more, especially our working families uh, who might be working in lower wage jobs. So we're looking at the health and well-being of families and the policies that promote that in addition to some targeted programs or approaches that we know really help to facilitate specific um, outcomes. So parenting or healthy births or uh, quality childcare. So the, the 11 are, are widespread and um, cover broad issues to really try to meet all the conditions that children need in order to thrive. Excellent. The um, You said ultimately the, the audience is those elected officials. Are you, without getting into the sensitivities and politics and all of that, but are you finding a receptive audience that is uh, bipartisan? We actually are. Um, this is something that everyone cares deeply about. Early childhood is not a partisan issue. We know that uh, investing early is important. The actual way that folks are going to get there might be different. Some states may invest more in programs. Others may invest more in policies. We've created a tool that is uh, allows for this diversity in approaches. And we're saying to states, get started, do something, do the thing that meets the goals that you have for children and families in your states. And here's the evidence that demonstrates what can effectively meet those goals. We're not advocates. We don't come with uh, an idea that you should do anything. What we share are the goals that folks have for ensuring that children and families are healthy and that they have long-term health and well-being. And what we've done is to say, here's what the evidence says that can really help us to meet those goals. We think the approach of saying we share your goals and what we are bringing to you is the evidence of what will help you to meet those goals really allows folks, regardless of your political uh, ideology or um, you know, how much you want to focus on programs versus policies and so forth, that there's something in here for everyone. 
And to date, it's been well received by folks from kind of all political perspectives. Mm. If you were to step back and just look at those 50 states and say, if we had to distill it to a key thing, this is one of the main things that's a bottleneck in the service, or, um, or the, you know, if I could change one thing, this is what I would do. What would that be? I think that the lowest hanging fruit for states is to reduce the level of administrative burden that our families face in order to try to get the benefits for which they are already eligible. Mm. This isn't a very sexy policy, reduced administrative burden, but it really makes a huge difference and it is very cost effective. And in the time right now where folks are really scrambling to figure out how we're going to rebuild our systems so that they really serve our families, we know that state budgets are going to be tight um, with the collapse of the economy This is going to have ripple effects for a long time. But we have programs in which families are already eligible, but because we make it so that they have to come and recertify for food stamps, let's say, every three months instead of once a year, that folks are not able to stay on the programs. But having folks have to come into the office and recertify every three months is costly for the state. That's a lot of Uh, man hours that folks have to spend. Uh, And it's also costly for families, trucking your kids across town on public transportation, taking time off of work, gathering all your documents, going to say, yes, my income is still what it was before Mm. (laughs) three months ago. Uh, That sort of process is really making it so that there's wide variation across states in terms of you're similarly eligible But in one state, they have lower rates of administrative burden and more families who are eligible get what they are are eligible for. And in other states, you have really low participation rates because it's very hard to continue to get the benefits for which you are actually eligible. So my first step would be to reduce administrative burden and make sure that if families are eligible, that they're getting the services because they need them. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 I understand that you're benchmarking where, where those 50 states, those individual states are relative to each other. Any surprises, any, any findings that are counterintuitive that you really weren't, you weren't expecting, but that are very pronounced, very much out there? Well, and just to clarify, we're actually including the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C. Apologies for the District of Columbia, indeed. So, so uh, they don't have statehood, but we're we're really focused on what we're calling a 51-state strategy. They are, uh, the D.C. is very active in this space, and it has a lot of children, and we are including them uh, as well. We wanted to include Puerto Rico. Unfortunately, the data for Puerto Rico are very uh, different than the data for the other 51 states, so we weren't able to actually collect it and uh, analyze it in the same way. So uh, we are certainly focused on uh, Puerto Rico, but we weren't able to include them in our analyses. But when we look at states and what they are uh, doing, and the one thing that really struck out is just how varied our states are. Mm. I knew it, but it is there's a lot of variation especially in the policies that we're focused on. We have three states that have implemented 
all five of the policies that we have focused on. And then we have a, a large number of states that have not implemented any of them. And then there's variation in between. When we look at the different strategies that we're focused on, there's six of them and no state has implemented more than three. Hmm. So uh, again, there is this wide variation. We have three states and I'm not gonna call them out now, but who haven't implemented any of the 11 solutions. And but what I like about this approach is that we're not trying to shame the states. They didn't have the information before about what is most effective. They will now, and we are encouraging them to get to work if they share the goal of making sure that kids get off to a healthy start. But everyone will start at their baseline, and we're going to measure progress toward better outcomes and better policies for kids. So that gives states who are starting at the bottom an actual advantage. They have a lot more room for growth than those who are starting at the top. Uh, we have some of our states, I'm in Texas. We are typically ranked at the bottom of a lot of uh, different sorts of scales that are out there looking at health or uh, education or other sorts of well, indicators of well-being for children or families. Well, we can show as much progress as any other state or perhaps even more given that we are starting pretty low. Mm. Uh, so I'm excited to look over time at the progress that states make. Today, it's a great baseline. We will understand where they are, but it's that growth over time that I really want to pay attention to. Great, great, great. Plus, investing in your uh, early years will, will pay returns down the line in terms of your human capital. Absolutely. That's what we know is that it is a very costly mistake to ignore the first three years. We pay for it again and again and again and again. Children who are exposed to early adversity, they have higher rates of lung disease, heart disease, cancer. Um, they engage in more risky behaviors. The earliest years really do shape the development of our brains um, and our body systems. And all of that gets under our skin, so to speak, and it stays with us throughout our lifespan. We know that children who are exposed to extreme adversity early in life, that they have a life expectancy that is 20 years shorter than children who are exposed to very limited adversity. Hmm. So you know, this, it has payoffs financially in terms of healthcare costs, incarceration, education. Um, it also in terms of folks who are working and paying taxes, that the returns are even greater if we focus on kids and make sure they get off to a, a healthy start. But it also has a human toll. People's lives, they're sicker, they have a poor mental health, and they live for fewer years. So it, these are big consequences. This is not just about making sure that these cute little babies are, you know, all snuggly and warm and that they're loved on. This is brain science. This is actual physical health that leads to mental health, health behaviors, and lifetime consequences. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. How did you get into all of this, by the way? Just out of curiosity, how did you get into um, focusing so much on early childhood development? Well, when I first started in this whole area nearly 30 years ago, 
my big question was, why is it that some kids seem to succeed with very little effort and other kids try so hard and still struggle? It was something I didn't quite understand. I was very naive. Uh, I really thought that the education system would be the great equalizer and was a teacher for a while because I thought that must be the way forward. For me, that was something that allowed me to be more successful than I would have been. Mm. Uh, my uh, parents, I really the first in my family to go to college. And uh, it was something that I thought this must be the answer. I learned pretty quickly when I was teaching that schools are really important, but they're only one part of everything. That it's the children's families, it's their community, it's the systems that's serving them outside of the school that actually allow them to do well in school or not. Uh, some of my kids really struggled to be able to have parents who could, who had time uh, to help them focus on their homework. Their hmm. parents were working multiple jobs. Uh, their parents may have been coming out of being incarcerated or, or going in uh, to the system. There was a lot of trauma in my uh, children's, my students' lives. So I decided at that time that I wanted to pursue that path. I wanted to understand how policies, our families, our communities all shape our lives. And uh, where I am now, nearly 30 years later, is really a great culmination of some of the work that I've been able to do over time to understand families, to understand policy, and now be able to say, here's what we know about what will actually benefit children, and let's get started to try to make a difference. It's been a great opportunity for me. I'm so excited about well, it. How fulfilling it must be. So we have then, again, National Prenatal to Three Research to Policy Summit, 15th of September. Remind us uh, where somebody can go to register for this. So they can go to child and family research at universityoftexas.austin.edu um, and or pn3policy.org. And, the, it, you know, we are sending it out on Twitter. If you follow us at CFRP LBJ, we uh, have Facebook, we are kind of all over the place, and uh, it's a free summit, and we encourage everyone to register and to get involved. The summit is just the beginning. We want to launch this, and then my work really begins to bring it to life. I will talk with any organization that thinks that this could be useful for them, and I'm really excited about learning from folks so that we can even make it more impactful in, in years to come. Excellent. Excellent. And for listeners as well, just as an added uh, uh, bit of information, uh, Cynthia's received funding from the likes of Buffett and Pritzker, uh, really leading funders in early childhood development who do their homework. So um, I guess put that into context when you're deciding whether or not investing your time in this summit is worth it. Cynthia, what about a key takeaway for our listeners? What's that key thing you'd love for the listeners to keep in mind after they, uh, they finish listening to today's episode? I really want folks to just understand how important these first three years are and to understand that we can actually do something to make it so that kids get off to the healthy start that they deserve. Policies do uh, represent the choices and the priorities that we have. 
And if we prioritize the fact that children deserve this healthy start, then we know some of the answers of how to make that happen. Wonderful. Cynthia Osborne, Director, Prenatal to Three Policy Impact Center at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you ever so much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.